There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Drive Live Talks Education. We have two guests in the studio with us this afternoon. And we're going to be talking all about GCSE results, iGCSE results, which is something new to me as well, Emma. And uh, we'll be talking about what that means for you as parents or if your children have just sat them or are about to. So two guests in the studio today, Brendan Fulton, who's the principal of Dubai British School. Hello, thanks for joining us. Good to have you on the show. And Fiona McKenzie, director of Gabitas Middle East. Good to have you on the programme too. Thank you. Be here. So we are going to be talking about GCSE results, but you mentioned iGCSE results, and that's something that Emma and I um, are quite unfamiliar with. Fiona, can you give us an outline of what they are? So um, GCSEs and iGCSEs are are effectively the same thing, um, but iGCSEs are the international version of the GCSE. So as we were just saying, that um, the kind of root of it was that the GCSE, which was designed for an English curriculum uh, in in an English school, would use words that would be very familiar to to English. So I think Brendan was called like radiator, for example, which might not be used in Mm. in kind of other parts of the world. Um, So the iGCSE was introduced to be a more international curriculum using more international language and to be less UK centric. So most international schools would offer a suite of iGCSEs. Um, it was then adopted that it was it was done in a slightly different format to the GCSEs. Uh, it was deemed to be slightly harder, actually, in some senses. And at that point, a lot of the UK schools um, adopted it because they felt it was more academically rigorous. Um, subsequently, the GCSEs in the UK have been reformed. And now there's a bit of a debate about which one is harder than the other. I think, would you agree? Paul? Yeah, that's Brendan? a really good summary. <laughs> So in terms of results this year, lots of students have been celebrating and it's a real happy time if you get the results that you need. I mean, do you remember results day for you, Brendan? I'm not sure whether it was GCSEs or A-levels that you took, but do you remember results day? I do remember results day. I remember being really anxious, just like most of our kids are here. And what about you, Fiona? Do you remember results day? I do. I remember my A-level results day so clearly because we were away on a family holiday. And when we got home, I knew that envelope was waiting on the on the doorstep. And I remember going in. And this is obviously because nowadays they pick them up online. Yeah. Um, but there was that envelope sitting there waiting. And I picked it up and just disappeared off to my bedroom and kind of sat there staring at it for ages. Um, and eventually ripped it open and it was all fine. But yeah, horrible moment. Horrible mm. moment. Of course, nothing you can do to change it at that stage. It's, you know, the die is cast. And it sets the kind of precedent for what happens next because yeah. those results then particularly at A-level then dictate kind of what happens afterwards. What about you, Emma? Do you remember yours? <sighs> it's, it was horrible. It was horrible. I do remember at one point them putting uh, results up on a notice board and everyone kind of queuing up and going. And I hated that because everyone got to see what everyone else got. I didn't like that um, form at all. But it was then, then as you were saying, Fiona, the what happens next, particularly with A-levels, you know, have you got into the university you wanted to or do you have to then go through clearing? I mean, that I think that's... A really hard thing when you get to the to the A level, and how was that work? I was reading a report recently that was saying although lots and lots of youngsters are doing really well and passing all their A levels, a lot of them are choosing not to go on to university. So they seem to have a lot of university 
spaces free. So any particular insight as to why that might be happening? I think the, there are a lot of university places available. And a couple of years ago, they actually kind of lifted the cap on university places, particularly at some of the top Russell Group universities where they were limited with a number of sort of 3A students and AB students mm. they could take. That kind of disappeared. So so there's now much more capacity in the university system. Of course, also now it's a sort of paid-for system as well. Universities have to make a living out of this. Um, so there is more capacity in the system. I think there was a, a something like a 3.5% drop in applications this mm-hmm. year. So, so there they are kind of seeing um, you know people are making other choices there's a very good apprenticeship system that's now been put in place in the UK and I think a lot of people are looking at university and thinking is it going to get me where I want to go and am I prepared to take on that level of debt um, or are there other ways of doing it and Brendan I have to say the exam results here are particularly strong aren't they I think it was something like 71% in terms of GCSEs achieving A star and A grades which is quite high yeah, the, the exam results in Dubai generally are very high, uh, allowing students to make those um, choices to move on to further education. So it, it is a real opportunity, I think. Um, and obviously, whilst university places might um, be uh, more available now, um, students here particularly have a very good opportunity to look at the other opportunities that some of the other students in the UK are only just starting to have a look at now. And how... Um how happy were you in terms of the results at your school? We were really happy. We had our best ever results set this year for both GCSE and A-level. Um, and most importantly for us at A-level, giving all of our students the opportunity to move on to some form of tertiary education uh, and, and for, we say, in excess of 95% of our students, their first choice of tertiary education. Okay, well, we'll come back to A-levels in a few minutes' time because they are kind of quite different stages in someone's life as well. At GCSE stage, you're narrowing down what you want to do even further and then at A-level again and then perhaps if you want to go on to university. But we've seen a lot of changes in GCSEs, whether it's, you know, in the UK system with a 1 to 9 and A to A stars. I mean, it's quite confusing for parents, Fiona. It's really confusing. It's really confusing for everybody, actually, this year. Um, and I think, just adding from what Brendan said, it's fantastic how well the Dubai children have done this year because the changes uh, that have come in, which includes uh, linear exams, so it's two years of learning and then all the testing is done at the end of that. So that that's a big change. When In the past, there was coursework and people yeah. could be kind of marked throughout it. Um, and obviously, the, the kind of most obvious change is this grading system, which is now going from one to nine rather than A to to G. Uh, one being the lowest, which is confusing some people. Nine is is a new one they've introduced, and that's the equivalent of like A star star star. Mm. And they were predicting that very few children would actually get that this year. So the GCSEs have been designed to be more difficult and more testing, and there were going to be fewer. But in fact, the, the students out here and the, loads of eights and nines. It's been really really impressive. Mm. I just wanted to ask, with that change as a, uh, away from sort of coursework-based GCSEs and that it's all kind of uh, relying on a, a final end exam, how does that affect certain pupils? Because um, not everyone is graded at exams. <laughs> I was hoping that I deliberately plummeted, uh, went for the subjects that were coursework-based because I was useless in exams. So how is that affecting youngsters? Brendan. Yeah, it, it, it is a real dilemma and schools are having to be really astute at looking at the alternative options like the BTEC program, um, both the level two and the level three BTEC program uh, to still cater for those students. Um, but really the the, the uh, transformation of the GCSE program to the linear approach and the move away from coursework has become a, a, is really based around the regulation of those programs mm-hmm. to ensure that they're being taught properly and 
uh, moderated properly. Um, so it, it is it is unfortunate for the students that aren't great at exams, um, but I guess schools just need to do better at preparing students for the exams. Okay. I think one of the interesting corollaries to that is actually that boys have done better than girls in the linear exams. There's been a marginal increase in boys' in, uh, exam results as opposed to girls, which sort of I think was slightly predicted that boys seem to work better to that deadline. Yeah, and I'm sure it's a mass generalisation, mm. but, mm. but it's interesting. It's interesting to see how the two different styles suit different people. I on the other hand, I, I didn't really care how much was coursework <laughs> and how much was exams at the end. If I liked the subject, I liked it. If I didn't, I didn't do it because I wasn't very good at it. And we're going to continue this conversation in a few minutes' time. We're going to talk about A-levels. We're also going to talk about options for children beyond GCSE and A-levels. We've got two guests in the studio, Brendan Fulton, who's the principal of Dubai British School, and Fiona McKenzie, who's director of Gabbatas. Drive Live talks education. So no Tim Elliott today. Emma Brain is here. It's just gone 25 to 5. We have two guests in the studio with us today. We have Fiona McKenzie, Director of Gabbatas Middle East, and Brendan Fulton, who's a principal of Dubai British School. And we're talking all about the exam results. Many of you will know, whether it's your friends, your family, your children, GCSE results, IGCSE, and A-level results. So we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, GCSE results. Now let's move on to A-levels. Fiona, I'll come to you because... Um, can you give us a picture of what kind of A-level results um, we've, se- we've seen here? Um, really good. There have been some really stunning results uh, here this year. Um, in fact, I think some of the schools have, have been sort of, you know, 11% A-stars at, at JC, at DC, 25% A-stars. Um, some really brilliant and some fabulous individual results. And we've had one client who got uh, five A-stars at wow. A-level, which is just like, that's so clever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's no, some really stunning results. And I think way above, actually, the kind of British national average are the results that we're, we're seeing here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Again, same as GCSEs, Dubai students have done exceptionally well in A-levels. And do you think because lots of uh, people um, are thinking about going to university earlier here, that's why they do so well at A-levels, do you think there's more of a message of what are you going to do once you uh, leave education here, perhaps, than in other parts of the world, Brendan? Possibly. I, I think there's there's several reasons. I think the quality of education in Dubai is very good. Uh, I think the the quality of um, British education in Dubai is, is excellent, and I think the choice of schools that students have here. So they're they're getting a really good shake in Dubai, first mm. of all. Um, but generally, we find international students are fairly ambitious. They they have uh, high aspirations for their careers, uh, and they they have um, uh, really high aspirations for the things they want to move on to in in terms of tertiary studies. And when it comes to students, obviously they, they've done their A-levels, they then uh, looking at universities they want to go to, or sorry, I should say before they get to that point. Um, maybe students that have obviously gone through school and then higher education um, here, are they more inclined to want to go to university elsewhere, to go to, go, uh, to other countries to go to university, or are they wanting to stay here? What's the kind of trend are you seeing with that? Well, I think that university students, I mean, sort of, you know, going into tertiary education students from here, it's amazing. It's like University 360 because you Mm -hmm. can just go anywhere in the world. So, you know, if you're wanting to do, I don't know, marine biology, then you might want to be looking at Perth in Australia. If you're wanting to do computer science, you might look at Southampton. If you're wanting, you know, America, I think students here are are very unparochial. They'll they'll look all over the world, which is great and opens up lots of opportunities. Europe is another kind of big destination for lots of them too. So I think it's a unique opportunity for for students to be really global about their approach. And one of the things is obviously you need the exam results to get into university. That is one of the big issues. But 
And um, what else are the universities looking for? Because you say, you know, Dubai has a great reputation for education, the quality of education's there. But sometimes we can be accused of being a bit shielded. We live in a very safe place here. Um, lots of students perhaps aren't prepared for what going into university internationally might involve. Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I, one of the things we find universities look for is a well-rounded, holistic students, people that uh, are going to add value in the university in certain ways and certainly be successful in their chosen degree. Uh, and interestingly, the the sort of dichotomy of that particular point of view is that stu- universities are looking for students that are internationally minded, mm-hmm. uh, which students in Dubai are, uh, that understand the, the globalization of the world and understand um, the, the, the sort of unique nature of people being involved in, in the education system that is now a global system, as Fiona was rightly saying. Uh, the access to choice here is, is significant for students. Um, so w- when we help students write the personal statements uh, and when we're preparing them for interviews, we generally focus on the areas that are specific to the degree that they've chosen with, but then the holistic nature of the things that they've done in terms of adding value to themselves as a person and their understanding of the world as, as a sort of a global place where everybody is, is able to access things equally. I guess that's one thing that uh, we forget that students here would have an advantage over students uh, elsewhere and that because we're such a multicultural society here, they already have that interaction with people from all over the world. So they're probably a lot more worldly in that sense and a lot more um, rounded. But I just wanted to come back to the the personal statement, the dreaded personal statement when you had to write those. Uh, These days, what's the process of of, of going through writing one of those and what, what are universities looking for? from a student uh, in their personal statement, do you think? Um, the, the personal statement is, as you say, absolutely key to the application. I think universities primarily are looking for a passion for the subject. That's what needs to shine out and an enthusiasm for it. And there are lots of different ways of demonstrating that. You know, maybe you've done some extracurricular things that support your choice of subject, um, extra reading around it, or just, just your kind of sheer enthusiasm for it. So that is really important. Um, I think universities, like Brenda says, are also looking for how you're going to add value to the mm. course. And they need to know that you're a stayer too. So, you know, if they're giving you a place they need to know that you're going to commit to that three years so you know degree of resilience and kind of grit and determination and finding things that demonstrate how you've kind of committed to that and extracurricular activities you know maybe maybe you've done um some extra stuff in indian dancing for example and you've got some qualifications in that you know bring that yeah. in and explain what other things that you've done and but it's not enough just to say oh i've done this and i've done that it's you know what what have you gained from that experience reflect on that and you know work experience is another one um, very important to, to do that and it doesn't necessarily matter what it's in it's just the fact that you've actually demonstrated that commitment to go out and try and do something and that you, you know a little bit about a kind of nine to five job and what, what you've got to do and turning up on time and, and committing to something. But the case in some of the North American schools is very different. You need to be um, preparing for this realistically for quite a long time before you even get to thinking about A-levels. You need to be taking on lots and lots of extracurricular activities. Brendan, do you think that's sort of fair on young people that throughout their education journey, they're having to think about what is going to look good on their application form for colleges down the line? Mm. I, I guess it's a it's a subjective assessment of whether it's fair or not. But I, I agree with Fiona's sentiment that they're looking for stayers. They're looking for people that have made a choice of, of, of um, a degree that is something that's been a considered choice, that is something that they've really thought a lot about, that they've had experience in. 
Um, and so students are having to think at a very young age, how can I get some work experience? What can I do to go and immerse myself in this um, in this career so that I can demonstrate to the university that actually this isn't just a a um, shot in the dark choice of a, of a degree I, I, I'm wanting to do. It's actually something I've experienced that I've thought about. I'm passionate enough about it. And if you take me to your university, I will be there till the bitter end fighting to get the best possible outcome that I can because I am passionate about pursuing this career. Um, so it is difficult to try and rationalize that with young children who perhaps don't know what they want to do mm. yet and they're still mm. finding their way in the world. Um, but certainly the competition in there does make it really difficult um, to to still be vacillating uh, even at GCSE level in terms of what your career choice may be. I remember when I was much younger and, you know, we've had these conversations before. You maybe go to a careers advisor and they say, there's maybe three or four careers and you talk amongst your friends and they say, oh, they recommended that for me too. It was quite a narrow idea of what perhaps you could do and could be. Um, but I certainly didn't know what I wanted to do when I was 16. I still thought it was something else. I wanted to be a lawyer when I was 18. That's what I thought I wanted to do and that's what I went to do at university. But there is still time, Fiona, for people to change their minds. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, it always works out in the end. I think that's the important thing to remember. And I think... A lot of going and doing a degree, it's much more important to go and do a degree that you're passionate about than to do something that you think is going to get you to where you want to go. Obviously, mm. there can be a balance with that. But actually, if you absolutely adore English literature, then go and spend three years studying English literature. The transferable skills that you will acquire from doing that degree will stand you in very good stead. So the research skills, the analytical skills, the communication skills, all of those things, um, you know, you take on to whatever it is. If, you know, you maybe go on to do law having done an English literature degree. The skills that you've picked up from your degree will we'll transfer into that. So I think it's really important to study something that you're passionate about and gain those transferable skills and then... And I think nowadays it's so difficult because we can't even tell what careers are going to yeah. be there in five years' mm. time. And just staying along that train of thought at the moment, and I'm going to go back even further from what Natalie said. Obviously, at school we do... Was it 11 GCSEs? Was it 9 or 11? 11 GCSEs? 11, yeah. And then you go down to, what, three or four A-levels? Even just cutting it down to from 11 to 4 is a huge decision for a 15, 16-year-old to, to have to make. Do you still... How, how do you guide youngsters these days in, in trying to pick the correct subjects for them and as we say at 15 16 you might have absolutely no idea what you want to do so so choosing the relevant subject could be even harder brendan yeah it, it, it's really it's a really good point and, and really relevant today where obviously the a-level choices universities are only looking at three a-levels now so whittling that choice down to your chosen three is so important um, but the best place to start, I agree wholeheartedly with Fiona, there has to be a love for the subject that has to be the prevailing factor in making those subject choices. And uh, schools have a real responsibility along with parents to help guide children in that direction. Um, the, the, it is difficult, I think, when children have pressure put on them to pursue a certain career that involves mm -hmm. taking A-level subjects, which is which either subjects that are really difficult for them to understand and to navigate or mm. something that they just really don't have that intrinsic passion for. Uh, so schools helping students cultivate that passion for the subject and developing that love for those specific subjects, that's a great place to start. And, and secondly, I, I fully agree again with Fiona, the transferable skills in today's day and age are, are, are so important. Um, many of the teachers we hire started out in very different industries and decided a lot later in life to go and be a teacher. And I think that's, that's something that's becoming far more prevalent, certainly than when I um, was younger and, and embarking into the, the world of work. Uh, 
people do change careers these days. It's it's not difficult to do. It's certainly not impossible to do. Uh, and and so that place to start is find that burning passion mm. for something and follow that. You're listening to Drive Live. We're talking education and we're talking all about exam results. We're going to continue the conversation in a few minutes' time. Drive Live talks education. We are talking education on the programme today. It's just approaching 10 to 5. We have two guests, Fiona McKenzie, Director of Gavitas Middle East, and Brendan Fulton, who's the Principal of Dubai British School in the studio with us. We've been reliving that pain (laughs) and those memories of um, our exam results, whether GCSE, A-level or otherwise. And it's something that's with you it really really does and I guess it's because um, it feels like it will be the final say on what you end up doing and we, we, we accept that maybe that isn't always the case for people but one trend um, that we've seen in recent times as well is lots of university places aren't being taken up there's more space and that can be for a variety of reasons whether financial or whether people want to do alternative kinds of employment education Brendan do you get many of your students approaching you saying I'm thinking perhaps university isn't for me my parent here is an engineer and they went straight into wherever and they've built a successful career I want to be like them yeah, we very few of our students actually. The majority of our students go on to a university somewhere in the world, um, but but certainly globally there has been a move towards um, a greater move towards taking a gap year, traveling for a year, or finding alternate forms of tertiary education. And um, I know that there is a a real growth in that area, um, opportunities outside of just. The, the sort of brick and mortar university that we used to. I think universities have become big business, um, certainly globally, but also access to tertiary education through online courses and distance degrees, uh, make providing that, that access has become um, a far, far, far greater business as well. And Fiona, through Gabitas, you sort of help people find the right kind of courses for them. But do you ever get perhaps a parent that's come to you and said, please help my child decide which uh, undergraduate course they want to go on? And this child says, I really don't think university's for me. Yes, no, absolutely, all the time. Um, I think what's also interesting, though, is universities offer a far wider range of subjects than perhaps they ever did in the past. So there is probably a degree out there for most people. And a lot of universities have some quite vocationally oriented orientated degrees mm. as well so so it's still perfectly possible to do that I mean we've got somebody this year who's doing uh, interior architecture uh, we've got somebody else who is doing events management so actually there's there's a lot of kind of choice out there and that sort of goes back to what you were saying about yeah. having so much capacity in the system I think that's partly because the the range of degrees that are offered is also much broader do you think there's a fear though for some people perhaps if you are doing a course that doesn't end with a job for example um, a doctor a uh, dentist, a vet, a teacher, there is quite a big risk, Brendan, in choosing universities. There is, and and I would say the flip side of that, part of our careers counselling programme does look at employability post-degree because often you have students who are focused on a specific degree and they haven't considered the employability of uh, the outcome of that degree. So there, there are certain industries which are uh, are, are becoming more difficult for people to find jobs and there are certain industries where um, the job market has fallen flat uh, and certain industries which are gradually becoming defunct or, or changing fundamentally with the, with, um, the pr- proliferation of technology. Um, so it, it is a difficult and complex sea to navigate um, and, and certainly schools and families working together with companies like Gavitas to try and help children um, make those choices because they're certainly, I fully agree with Fiona, that the, the choices out there at the moment, 
fantastic to see there is something for everybody and there is there is a pathway to get there for everybody mm -hmm. as well um, but it's just being able to find out and having people to help guide you correctly and it's diff it's difficult isn't it when you have um what could be turned as the flighty degrees. I mean, my parents went, oh, you're going to do like arts and media. What's that going to lead to? I'm like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you have degrees in things like surfing and Star Wars and things like this. And you're like, why? There's, you know, lots of choice is good, but sometimes too much choice is not always a good thing. No, I think David Beckhamology was once a degree <laughs> oh. course yeah. that made the headlines quite a few years ago. But, you know, I wonder where that person is now. But Fiona, something we had a brief chat about was the fact that we don't know what the jobs of the future are going to be too. So finding a, a course that will guarantee you a job is perhaps not as easy as it was in the past. I think there are two schools of thought. I mean, there are some very clearly vocational pathways, so medicine, veterinary, dentistry, those sorts of things um, will very clearly lead you down a particular direction, you know, engineering. Um, but the other school of thought is actually we don't know what the jobs are going to be out there mm. at the end. So actually why not go and do something that you're really passionate about and that you really love and want to learn about and then you know, using the skills that you've acquired from that degree and the intellectual ability that you develop whilst you're doing that and then take that as a platform to move forwards and, and then to take you know a job that leads on from it but you can study all sorts of things I mean I've got I've got somebody who's just graduated as an art historian from Edinburgh and she's now working for Goldman Sachs so there's no kind of obvious link so yeah companies aren't looking necessarily for a specific type of degree they're looking for the skill set that goes with the degree. And uh, as you say, sorry, nothing. And and I just wanted to hop in and say, and as you say, people are, um, you know, can change careers quite easily these days. It's very easy to go back and retrain or restudy to do the other thing that you might want to do later on. Absolutely, exactly. It's not set in stone in the same way. You know, you're not going to be doing 60 years and collecting mm. your watch at the end. Nowadays, the children that are kind of graduating now are going to have multiple careers um, and multiple choices. And Brendan, what advice would you have to maybe parents whose children are approaching the sort of ages of GCSE? Because we're sort of fast forwarding here to A-levels and going on to university. But just as uh, one set of students have got their exam results, there's another set of students starting this process. And as a teacher or a principal, rather, is there any advice that you would maybe offer that parents to help guide them through this? What can be quite a difficult stage yeah, I think the best place to start, I'll go back to, is what are they passionate about? What do they love? I, I, I always say to parents, if your child is really interested in something at a young age, it's such a bonus. It's such a benefit. And I had an uncomfortable conversation with a family last year because their daughter wanted to become a hairdresser. And they wanted me to help them talk her out of it. And I said, it's such a benefit for her to at least be interested in wanting to do something. Whether that ends up being the case or not, the ability to nurture that drive, that determination, that extrinsic motivation that they need to work hard and to achieve to try and get to a goal. Even if those goals change, that's fine. But find a goal mm. uh, that's based on their passion and help them work towards that goal. And Fiona, what about you? What advice would you offer parents starting this journey? Oh, it is a tough one, isn't it? I mean, I have four children myself. I have sat through that talk on a number of occasions <laughs> in schools. Um, I think of what, what we find at Gavis is we actually do lots of student profiling where we have some systems where families can come in and it's an online assessment. And it just helps to cut through some of the kind of confusion and to give people some ideas. And once you've got some ideas, then it's easier to work on. I think sometimes one's paralysed by choice um, and sometimes you just need to kind of cut through that and, and get some straightforward ideas. OK, it sounds like good advice. Any <laughs> Anything you would add, Emma? Do you, do you remember thinking, you know, I wish I would have known this when I sat down at the start? 
I don't know. I, I was always a little bit lost, to be honest with you. <laughs> I just kind of like floated my way through it. I tell, One thing that I just wanted to bring up because we were discussing it earlier. Do you think that there's any, we were saying about the 11 GCs, any that might be a possible controversial way to put it, that are pointless to do anymore? Because I look back at the, the ones that I got and I was like, never use that, never use that, never use Absolutely pointless thing to do. Yeah, I mean, obviously my answer has to be no. There's none. <laughs> <laughs> but, but 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 I do mean that genuinely because sometimes it's irrelevant about the subject that you're doing, and what's really important is the process of learning, mm-hmm. be, teaching people to think critically and think broadly, critically across a range of different subjects. And also, we've had many students who have been really resistant to a subject, and after six months have turned around and found a love for that subject, okay. and that's taken them to where they want to go. I'm intrigued. What subject is it that's put you off so much? <laughs> I think it was something, probably something like geography, but not in the world country sense. The the other kind of you know boulders rolling down the seafront kind of sense, you know okay. erosion and that kind of geographical things. I was like, I'm not interested in rocks. I do. I remember doing a GCSE in art, and I just really enjoyed it. I don't think it's you know helped me with much, but I enjoyed it, and it was a relief from doing history and English. So it helped me balance out everything. So I don't think I've used it, but I don't think it was a waste massively. I mean, Fiona, I I guess you would agree with Brendan. I would. I just think it's also important to keep that breadth because Mm. otherwise you make people specialise far too soon. And and how do you, you know, we've all been saying we didn't really know what we wanted to do. And if you make people kind of drop all of those ones that might not seem to be very relevant, then you're, you're ruling out opportunities. And I completely agree with Brendan, you know, that you can start a subject and think, oh my goodness, seriously? Mm. And actually six months in, it's like the best thing ever. So I think you have to have that choice so that Mm. people can have a go at it and give it a go. If it doesn't work for you at the end of it, well, nothing and again, it goes back to the transferable skills that you pick up, as Brendan was saying. That's all we've got time for on Drive Live Talks Education this week. Thanks to our guests in the studio, for Fiona McKenzie, who's Director of Gabitas Middle East. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And Brendan Fulton, who's the Principal of Dubai British School. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at DubaiEye1038.com.